The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Um, oh, you know what? I forgot the main thing. I had good video. So. Great video. Two videos I want to show. I've got my computer. Let's see if I can bring it. Give me a second. So, yeah, if you see the statistics, um, well, pretty scary statistics. The, the National Highway Traffic, could you read it on five minutes? Just you mean to read it? Okay. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reported that in 2012, driver distraction was the cause of 18% of all fatal crashes with 3,328 people killed and crashes resulting in an injury uh, with 421,000 people wounded. I, I'm not sure I understood actually what I just read. And crashes resulting in an injury. Anyway, 3,320 people died and 421,000 people were wounded because of driver distraction, which we'll find out what that means. 40% of all American teens say they have been in a car when the driver used a cell phone in a way that put people in danger, according to a Pew survey. The Virginia Tech Transportation Institute found that text messaging creates a crash risk 23 times worse than driving while not distracted. 11% of drivers aged 18 to 20 who were involved in an automobile accident and survived admitted they were sending or receiving texts when they crashed. That's 11% of those drivers. Okay, I'm I didn't bring my computer. Oh. That's why I have a smartphone. You're gonna show me. This is great. <laughs> what are they? Mm -hmm. it's a great commercial. It's a Volkswagen. Thank you. This is in the movie theater and we do this. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're doing it again? Uh, it's just playing Anyway, if you do have teenage children driving, or adult children driving, like, um, like I'm guilty of texted, there's a great I don't have it here. I mean, it's, it's, it's a 10 minute film. It's called The Last Text. Unbelievable, amazing uh, 
films scare the hell out of your teenager, strongly suggest watching it or and yourself by texting and driving. But my daughter wrecked a VW bug with six with five pup with five girls inside and when we told her do not take other girls in the car with you. But five girls inside a VW bug and totaled it. Fortunately everyone was okay. For told it when the before the permanent license plates arrived. I mean, there was total with the paper, with the paper, you know, the paper with plate the paper that they give you from the dealer. And you got another one after. Yeah, I got another one. <laughs> I got another one. Okay. You know, she didn't do that afterwards. I guess she did spice up. No, I think these numbers are actually uh, underwhelming. Like, I would have expected higher numbers. How, how, what percentage of people are going to be like, truthful about Well, that's that? the thing. I think it's underreporting. 11% of drivers age 18 to 20, I, I think that 11%, uh, it's probably like 50%. No, 11% of, of drivers age 20 who are admitted. Admitted. I understand. Right, right. So it's underreporting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Okay, so so there's the there's two parts to it. Since this is a medical ethics class, there's, there's obvious the obvious part is the dangerous part of it, which we've discussed here in many other contexts. So I'm not necessarily going to spend so much time, but I'll, but of course we'll mention it. Which is there's two parts to it. One is anything that's an obvious danger to your own self, to your own life, that in itself the Torah prohibits. So so uh, an obvious danger. So well, getting yeah, in a car on the freeway is not an right. obvious danger. Right. Well, there is, there is uh, exemptions to the obvious danger, meaning some things are, are part of the... There are certain things that are part of your everyday day life. We'll discuss that, how that works with texting, maybe. But there's something called... Things that are part of normal life, um, are, we don't... Even though they might be, quote-unquote, dangerous, but it's part of your... of society... In normal society, the assumption is we don't have to be concerned about it. So, like you're saying, driving on the 610 in Houston is clearly dangerous. I have no question about that. But um, halacha makes allowances. First of all, there is allowances um, to, to place yourself at risk for for your job. That's number one. Okay. Um, certain again, certain allowances. And but what we're saying is, if something's a normal part of society, which driving is today, so even though there might be danger involved. There is the assumption is that we it's allowed anyway. Okay, but something factored, that's not factored into the cost of living. Um, yeah, modern living. Yeah. Um, so, but the this I don't think I mean at some point texting might reach that stage. Uh, but I, but clearly it's not something that you have to do while you're driving. Not as far as your job is concerned. Not as far as, so so I don't believe you'd have any leniency as far as that. So the, the, the verse that we base it on, the danger that, first of all, that it's prohibited to endanger your own life is, quoted here number one, it says, um, it's a verse in Deuteronomy, it's actually repeated twice. Um, the Hebrew is, you shall take heed and watch yourselves very carefully. And we understand that even though the Torah's language is referring to your life, uh, your soul is your life force. So it means you have to make sure that you live. That's part of being Jewish is to make sure you stay alive. Um, so that's number one. That's as far as your own life is concerned. Now there's a much bigger factor when you're texting and driving, which is it's not your only your own life that you're endangering, you're also endangering others. So that's another very clear verse, which I quoted on the back, which is also in Deuteronomy, I believe it says, 
Number 10, let's go to there. Which means you shall not place blood in your house. Um, it's in the context of actually of the mitzvah of Micah, Maka, um, for those of us who don't like Ashkenazi pronunciation, um, which, which says that you, there's an obligation. As Jews, we have an obligation. Anytime there, you have to build a parapet around any um, raised platform. So anything above, which I think is approximately maybe uh, six or seven feet off the ground, it's really going on a roof, essentially, but on a porch, if you have a deck that's raised off the ground, the Torah said one of the 613 commandments, believe it or not, which is to build a parapet, you have to build a fence around the platform. Torah says, you're obligated. Says the Torah, why? You shall not have blood in your household. Okay, meaning you shouldn't have something of, that's a dangerous to people's to other people's lives in your household. So if you have a staircase and you have a what's it called? Rails. A landing. Yeah. Oh. Right, but I'm saying you have a landing on the staircase. There has to be a railing, and it's, and it's a, there's a requisite height even for the railing for the height of the railing. This is all biblical. It's not rabbis. It's in the Torah itself. Okay, so again, it's it's the verse of what's called the, the mitzvah is known as mitzvah ma'ke. Ma'ke means a parapet, a, a railing. So there's an obligation. To have a railing um, around that. But what's fascinating is the Talmud extends that obligation not just to that specific mitzvah of the 613, not just for that specific obligation, any danger. So it's understood from the verse since the Torah, the Torah rarely gives reasons. Here the Torah spells out the reason, it says, Lo, lo um, titen damim bibetcha, there shall not be blood in your household. Anything dangerous. So this, for the Maimonides extends this. Uh, Talmud really extends it. Maimonides codifies it and says even having a a, uh, a vicious dog in your home is a problem also. So if you own a pit bull, again, if it's for self-defense, you live in a bad neighborhood, that's something else. But but if you just have it as a pet and it's something that's... What kind of dog do you have? I have a Labrador. Okay. She's going to lick people. So, but if you have a, a, a specific, okay, so if you have a specific vicious dog that's known to be dangerous and attack people um, without being provoked, so that is probably a biblical prohibition to keep that dog in your home. Um, again, unless if it's trained properly or, or if it's fenced in, it might be different. But I'm saying if it's you, it has the possibility of getting out. So then that's just one example. There are many examples. Um, of this prohibition, um, it, it, probably having a loaded gun not in a safe, if you have little children around, it probably is also a violation of this biblical prohibition. Same would apply. Um, so again, there's nothing wrong with having a loaded gun as long as it's protected and it's in a safe place. There's no problem with it. Um, okay, so so uh, so this prohibition of Osama Dhamma, I believe, also would, um, even though it's not your, I mean, Question is, is your car or your house? Torah specifically says house. I don't know, I didn't do the research. I'm assuming it's not limited to your house. It's any dangerous situation. It means creating a dangerous situation where others, people's lives are endangered based on your actions um, or owning something on your positions. Which, which by the way, I, from, a, from a historical standpoint, I don't know how different it is then versus today, but today we have a multitude of things like electrical sockets, yeah. detergents, pools in our backyard, I mean, whatever, right. like, so all, them, all those know, things yeah. are modern, but I don't know if that's actually a modern issue, and in the past it was not such yeah, a there was. Deal. Well, there's always dangerous things, that's a very good point, having, uh, you know, something dangerous, not locked up, having, uh, whatever it is, detergent, like, right, any poison, um, a pool, that's a cl classic yeah. example, would be not putting a fence around your pool, 
knowing that children could access it, that, what about that, is, sharp that would be a violation of this without question. What? Sharks? Sharp knives. Sharp knives. Real sharp knives. Depends if you have depressed people living in your home. I mean, depends, whatever. I'm not sure. What? You all have sharp knives. No, I'm saying depressed people or children. An idiot. If there's a concern that someone in your in your home is depressed and might use it to take their own life, then that's an issue. Saying normally healthy people, I don't think there's a concern of having sharp knife. Even any knife. If somebody stabs himself with a knife, is it can you be kosher again? Anyway. Um, it's, it's a good question. Yeah. Tell him that's a good question. Jeez. Tell everyone that. Okay, so uh, so the question is, so so again, I put it down here, a few examples, skiing, bungee jumping, hunting, but again, the, the issue really would be, in every case, and that's what we discussed in the past, there's always gray areas, exactly how to define something dangerous, what's considered risky, what's considered dangerous. The risky behaviors are prohibited biblically, but we need to define risk, which we're not going to do today because I don't have it. There's still, after all these years, have not found a good definition of how what's considered risky. Because today, as you're mentioning, there's a multitude of things you can have st studies on eating barbecue is also right. dangerous. I mean, so where where do you draw the line? Obviously, there there has to be, uh, a, and there is there's a lot of gray areas. What's defined as a risk? As you know, yesterday I don't know if you know, but yesterday the government actually signed a law pro, um, banning, FDA is now going to ban all trans fats. Um, yeah, from food. And the rate? No, it's yeah. just the air conditioner talking. Okay. So all trans fats um, will be banned by, I think it's three years they're giving all companies. It will be illegal to put it, use it as an ingredient in the food. Does that mean I can't go out and buy a cake today that has trans fat? Because it's dangerous for me, based on this biblical law. So again, it's <coughs> everything's in moderation. You, you, you I don't think one uh, cupcake, or one shipping donut is going to kill you. Obviously, if you eat multi, so someone who eats, you know, six donuts a day for breakfast daily, that probably is biblically prohibited. I would say. You know, you um, can make a strong argument now that uh, having a computer in your house constitutes uh, a, a violation because your kids can get on the computer and go. Yeah, but it's not dangerous. Google, uh, I mean, there might be know, child perverts. Yeah, but that's traumatized. Uh, okay, I hear you. That's a good point. Meaning chat rooms. Yeah, yeah. The chat rooms. You can get connected with people who are show, dangerous to life. You're right. That's why I have filters on my computer for all my children. We have uh, filters on, on the computer, which um, traces every everything. First of all, it doesn't let them go to many sites. But you're right. Could be an obligation today to have that if you have small children. That works on your house. Your children go to somebody else's computers. Yeah. Right. So you need to be careful where you send your children. Just that my wife will not send my child to someone's house who owns a gun. Who they don't. She doesn't know if it's locked up. So it's the same thing. My wife will not allow them to go to a birthday party to a house where there's a gun, a loaded gun in that house. Yes, she knows about it. So she she will not let them go to someone's house who has who allows their kids to use unfiltered internet. If right. She thing. knows. If she, yes. Well, she'll, she'll call the parent she and ask. Know. She'll call the parent and ask. Okay, so it's a good point. Um, so now, so the question, uh, this, so this was an actual, so now what's the precedent? Obviously, texting did not exist in times of the Torah, but I have found some fascinating response. At least it's, so the other question is, what happens if someone violates this law and does text while they drive? Not just at a stoplight, 
Yeah, like I did. Yeah, um, right, so, so the question becomes liability. What's the liability um, if an accident does happen um, from a halachic perspective? Um, the question is, so, so cause there's, there's two ways of looking at it. Um, in halacha, there's a concept called onus, which you, we have discussed here in the past. Mm-hmm. Onus means, it's, usually it's used in the case of under duress. Right, duress. The little translation of onus is accident or under duress. If someone does something where they had no control over their actions, so technically there's a certain sense of non-liability, a lower sense of liability in halacha. So the question is how does that apply here, um, in general, to, to cars, to car accidents? Uh, are you liable um, for car accident? Clearly, in this case, one will say, listen, it's their fault, they're texting. Um, so this is, there's two, two sides always. Whenever you're dealing with liability in halacha, there's something called onus, which means accident, and then something called pshia, which means negligence. So the question is, clearly, in, in the case of texting, there's no question, you're negligent if you text. But the question is, did that, how do we view that as the causation of the accident? Meaning, um, there's another concept in halacha known as grammar, which we discussed here also in the past, which is causation. That means if I did not do the action, I just caused the action, so there's always a low, much lower level of liability when it comes to murder, when it comes to, to monetary payments, even Shabbat. Right? If I violate Shabbat by, via grammar, uh, and it's been in the news a lot lately, there's something called, a, someone created something called a Shabbat switch, which basically uh, allows you to turn on a light on Shabbat, um, with via grammar, meaning it's, you only cause it to happen. If you remember the when you when we were growing up, at least when I was growing up, um, there was a game called Mousetrap. Remember that game? Yeah. Mousetrap. Yes. You know. Yeah. In Philadelphia. So. All right. So it's basically you. It's like before a, or after Monopoly. I don't know. Same time or after. Are you familiar with math? I, rem- I don't after remember how to play it, but I remember seeing Maybe the Maybe I don't box. either, but it was like a, you drop a marble and the marble causes, basically yeah, knocks yeah, this yeah. thing. You know, it's like a domino effect. And then that knocks this down, you know? You know yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so that's that in halacha, it's called a grama. So meaning if that, at the end of the day, if that marble um, turns on a light on Shabbat, there's no problem whatsoever, halacha. Because it was done via causation. You didn't, the Torah prohibits, just to give an example of one, one example, the Torah says, do not kindle a fire in Shabbat. So if I did something which did something which did something which causes a candle to be lit, that's, that's not my problem. It, wasn't, it can't be perceived in halacha, at least, as my action. Directly. Indirectly. No, no, that would be the end result then? Even if I knew, yes, it's intentional. So now they created switches on Shabbat. Um, which, which now allow you. I mean, obviously a lot of people are, not, are against. There's a lot of controversy, but they allow you to turn on a switch on Shabbat. By the way, um, they have phones, um, not cell phones. Mm-hmm. In the old days, um, actually, there's a doctor in town, Menachem Begin. They invented a phone when he was prime minister. It's called the gramophone. The gramophone, play on words, because mm-hmm. I think the inventor of the phone was Grandma. Gram, uh, gramophone. Yeah. No. Someone was named uh, Grand. No. Or Grand Bell. Yeah. So, so the, it's called the gramophone. Uh, oh, it's, it's called grandma like and grandma. Like is that when grandma calls? So this is called the gramophone, and it's yeah. what, when Begin was prime minister, he was Shomer Shabbat, so he wouldn't use the phone Shabbat, so he created a phone for him that works through grandma. And when you pick it up, it doesn't create a circuit. Right. right, so it goes somehow, some cause an electrical, but I don't, I don't know enough about this stuff. Well, in any case, what, 
would. There's a doctor in town, uh, Dr. Cutler uses it. They do modern cars charge. where you put your key in your pocket. Yeah. And if you walk close to right. the thing, so that might be even better, sit, by the way. It's a very if good you point. you sit in the car. Yeah, that's called misasic, which means you're, you're just doing a different action. I'm walking, like it's walking by a uh, light that goes on, you know, a motion right. detector. So that's not even grammar. That's called misasic. If, if I'm not doing it intentionally, if I'm just walking by and the light goes on, the that's called misasic. I'm going around my business. I did not do any action um, to, right. to, yeah. do, to violate Shabbat. So that's even more lean. You have to be a certain distance, but see, well, you know, I'm just thinking out loud that if you set intentionally a sequence of events that you know directly you would not be allowed to do halakhically, but by, by setting up the sequence of events, in such a way that the ultimate result is what you should not do. Yes, yeah, so we're not saying you should do it. Ideologically seems in um, dishonest. Uh, yes, I got you. So, so it's true. There is a concept, especially in Shabbat, called the spirit of Shabbat. But, meaning, that again, as we discussed many times, the Torah, we believe, is a, it's a science, like anything else. The Torah prohibits X. Only X is prohibited. Her prohibits bacon, so you can have bacon. You can have bacon. It's not a problem. Even though you know, listen, I'm, it tastes the same. Maybe I don't know. I can't tell you, but right. But you know, we, do, what only the Torah only prohibits what the Torah prohibits. Now, of course, there's all kinds of the spirit of the law. There is concepts of you know, spirit of Shabbat. Shabbat is about rest. So to have you know everything going up. Uh, my sister has a computer program which turns all her lights on and off on Shabbat. She Prince program from before Shabbat actually has in it, by the way, they the have now a timer you can put in the wall. It has all the candle lighting pre programmed forever until so the year, you know, 30,000 or whatever. Right. It has everything pre programmed, every single candle lighting, and you, it's either on your computer or it could be a timer in the wall. Now they sell a Shabbat timer which automatically sets your clock, goes on and off. You can have your TV, everything going on and off. Shabbat. So obviously, it's not in the spirit of Shabbat, but technically, you did nothing wrong. Halachically, there was no violation. Again, it's something in spirit. You know, Shabbat is, is a day of rest. The idea is to, to spend time with the family if you're going to have your TV and everything going on. It's like so. hiring a hitman and telling him, you know, no, take... So that's the, I don't know, know what... So you're right. By the way, in that case, that's I not first-degree murder. No, let's, let this but, but one second, I want to finish the point. So now, by the way, even this switch, so this new Shabbat switch that came out, um, that, that technically, technologically allows you there's no violation of Shabbat. The only, we, the only rabbis who agreed to it initially, they said you can use it for older people, like in nursing homes, and that's the only way they allowed, they only allowed it in situations for someone who's sick, things like that, in nursing homes, hospitals. Of course, now, people, it's being marketed for everyone, but that's the problem of slippery slope. That's why the people are not happy with it, but initially, they only permitted it for that. But again, biblically, there's no violation. Everyone agrees. Technically, there might, there's no real violation. It's just a question of spirit. So what, right. what about the, the idea of having a Gentile servant that turned lights on in your house the Shabbos going? So even that is that, that is that a would that be a violation yeah. of so the you, spirit? You're not allowed to tell a, a, a Gentile to do specifically violated, explicitly violated work for you on Shabbat, meaning things that are prohibited. But well, thirty-nine laws. You can. But there are ways. Doesn't it feel warm in now, this room? Right. I mean, if you don't specifically, so the rabbi's prohibited for that reason because he well, said there's no Shabbat. You just have you have a. Someone yeah, working in your home, you just so tell them that you know, okay, do this, do that. 
So then Shabbat will be non-existent. That's the reason why they prohibit it. But it's rabbinically prohibited. Only rabbinically prohibited for that reason, because Shabbat basically so violates the spirit of Shabbat. Exactly. So all That's of these things would violate the spirit exactly. of Shabbat. Exactly. Yes. But it's not a biblical violation. Um, that's that's the point. And nobody's worried about. And by the way, they even have now. There's an app. An there's a texting app because texting, speaking of our topic, has become such an addiction for many teenagers that that they found people, teenagers who are Shomer Shabbat and want to be Shomer Shabbat, but they can't control themselves. They'll do it. They'll keep everything, but they have to text on Shabbat. They can't stop from doing it. That's what it's an article in the New York Times about it actually. And mm-hmm. they so they they invented an app which is the Shabbat texting app which somehow allows, what it does is a few things, because what it does is it turns your phone on, off and on like automatically every you know minute, so you're not turning on the switch, and the texting, everything gets completely erased every 10 minutes, so there's no permanency, meaning that if you're writing on Shabbat, it's prohibited, it's, one of the, it's a biblical prohibition, but it's only if it's permanent. So if you write with invisible ink, or you know, ink that dis- disappearing ink, there's no problem, biblically again. So they, this app erases everything, all your text every 10 minutes or so. That's the way they get around. So obviously no one is happy about it. But what some rabbis are arguing is, listen, these, it's if for these teenagers, if they're going to go and secretly text and they're going to feel like, oh, they're violating Shabbat, it's better to have them um, doing it in a permitted way than a non-permitted way. And this is debatable. So it's not widely accepted. The New York Times, if you Google it, had an article about this texting app on Shabbat. Um, I remember the first time to a beach house, and some of my relatives were very ultra-Orthodox, and it was Friday night, and after we had eaten dinner, had the Shabbat dinner, they took out some cards, and they played, they think it was Jim Rumi, but they were playing something you need to keep a score. And they took some books out, and they used the pages, and I'm thinking, what difference is that from writing yeah, on a piece of paper. No, it because the Torah prohibits just, writing. It wasn't, but it did violate the spirit of Shabbat. No, I don't, I don't think that at all. That's nothing. There's nothing. You had to play a game on well, Shabbat. They kept, they kept turning pages. Uh, turning oh, pages is not prohibited. How about on holidays where you're supposed to make a donation, you just turn down a flap of how many million yeah, dollars you get? I do that all the time. I know, but I'm just saying. That, that's not really that. That would not rise to the level they don't think so but yeah, it really does I just googled texting so it's a whole texting on Shabbat there's a many articles holy texting does new app make smartphone use permissible on Shabbat holy app holy texting oh. orthodox so teens addicted to texting embrace the half Shabbat so it says there's there, there's a lot of teens now they, it's called the half Shabbat they're Shomer Shabbat except for texting they can't control themselves it's, it's, I'm sure, have you dealt with this in I guess Forget it. No, I don't mean the orthodox teens. You I mean, mean compulsive texting? Yes. Yeah. Teens uh, who are... That's holy yeah. crap. Yeah. Or, or yeah. even adults. It's I not mean, just teens. Yeah. So it's out right. there. Right. I'm saying, is it a, it, can it be a true addiction? Yes. Can someone claim yes. they can't control themselves? Yes. It can be a true addiction. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. So, I mean, there's fascinating articles. You should read it because they discuss this from a psychological But Is it a real addiction or is it just teens wanting, you know? Well, what is, you know, compulsive behavior for adolescents is normal. Okay. How many times does a girl have to look in the mirror before she leaves to school to make right. sure that she looks okay? 
Uh, how about the people in the, the nuthouse that grab, hold on to their cigarettes like it's a lifeline? It is for them. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to texting. Texting. Let's get to texting. So, so, uh, so, so what I did was I found, so what the precedent there was, I couldn't find any response on texting, but I did find a, a response from Provadio Sith on some a case where, I'll, I'll share, I'll share. Is that the book? Yeah, the original. So this this is a one of Rebbe Vadi Yosef's uh, books. This is volume number nine out of ten, currently in print. They'll probably print more. Um, this is just response. Yeah. Rebbe Yosef what died about ten years ago? No, he just a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. So he this is his book of response. Again, this is volume number nine. As you see, it's a little print. So he has a question he was asked about someone find it and I can read it inside. So it's Simon Hay, starting on the side here. Simon Hay, down there, bottom, yeah, you're on the right side. Mark, you So question posed to him was like this. Sheila, Odod Ruven Sheshla Michonit, Ruven who had a car, Ubikesh and Salvala Haifa, he was driving to Haifa, it doesn't say from where. Vishach Vishushcheno Shimon and his neighbor Shimon, Shaf Ubikesh and Salvala Haifa, also needed her, wanted to go to Haifa. So Bikesh Miruven, so he requested from Ruven, Shechenu Imo Bimichonito, to drive him in his car. But Yas came, and he did him a favor, he gave him a ride to Haifa. Hine Bemsan Sia Hatafa Tardema. At the the uh, the driver, fell into fell asleep at the wheel. The irat to Nakasha and had a bad accident. Shimon nifzapzayim kashim. Shimon was injured badly. Ruushpas betacholim kichodeshem. He was in the hospital for a month. The hisman rofim mumchim berufot and they they required expert doctors for his healing. Vata sheichlim and now that he's healed and he's better. Tavad ruven l'shalom mo shalom lo dumei ripu. He wants Reuven to pay for his hospital bills and his, his loss of income at the time he was in the hospital. Reuven, told, Reuven the driver, claims the devil. He, it was an accident. His, his intent wasn't to, to harm. He doesn't have to pay him anything. What is the halacha in this case? So that was the question posed. So, so if you turn to the back here, um, Back of your hand, just as we, you know, we did discuss this here in the past, there are five forms. The Torah um, gives five forms of liability for damages. Okay, this is again in this biblical written 5,000 years ago. Um, the Torah clearly states that one is obligated to pay five forms of liability, and they are a nezek, which is the actual loss and damages. That's um, obviously if you damage someone, you have to pay for their property or for. Um, Okay, for their for their for the actual damages. Um, then it's something called sar, which is pain and suffering. Okay, that means uh, whatever suffering and how that's assessed. We discussed a little in the past. And then it's ripoy, which is medical expenses. The Torah says very clearly, apoyirapay, the famous verse, which we know from there. This is also the source, of course, that we do allow healing within Judaism. But more so, the Torah is saying very clearly, you have an obligation to pay if you damage someone for their medical expenses. Um, and number four is Shevet, lo, um, loss of earnings, um, which is loss of income, the amount of time this person was out of work because of your damage, damages. That is also a requirement. 
Boshet is humiliation, that means shame. Pay for their emotional, um, besides their pain and suffering, their actual pain and suffering, their emotional suffering. This is clearly uh, fascinating. 5,000 years ago, the Torah understood these, that there's concept of emotional suffering, all these things, um, pain. Um, this was all included, again, in the five forms of damages. Now, the, so just to be sure, today, meaning only um, loss, the actual nezek, which is A, loss and damages, and ripoy <laughs> are the only things that are technically in practice today um, because a betin, reading the times of the Talmud, the Talmud says a betin, not in Israel, um, when the Beit HaMikdash was around, um, does not have, cannot, cannot charge penalties. Okay, we, we know penalties are no longer in practice in, within Jewish law, only actual damages. So everything else... What about loss of earnings? So that's considered a, pe- a penalty. Oh, really? Uh, one second, no, no, sorry. You're right. That, that's two, I think, Ripui and Shevet. It says Shevet here. Yes, yeah, so lo- loss of earnings is not. Ripui and Shevet. Um, so anything that can be objectively measured as right. a consequence of the damage exactly. can, yeah. be, can be defined but if it's as subjective, actual monetary claim, but if it's subjective, Betin doesn't get involved. Um, well, I'm not sure what you mean by subjective. Well, like like, like pain, there, There's pain. no objective measure of humiliation. Yes. There's no objective yes. measure of pain and suffering. Right. No, but, it's, but I think that's not the, the point. That is a point, but it's not the key. But the key point is, if it's an actual monetary damage, I'm paying you for a loss of X, something measurable. I don't know if the point is measurable or. Because there is a way to measure pain and suffering. There is a way to measure, but it's it's considered a penalty as opposed to actual loss. You, and can, natural you, you can measure lost wages. I made two hundred yeah, a week. I broke saying. leg. I didn't work for six months. No, that's loss of income. Yes, but I'm saying, but that's actual damage. It's, the way I understand it, and again, I don't understand it fully. There's actual damages, and then there's penalties. So for for pain and suffering, it's considered a penalty. Thank you, Humiliation is considered a penalty, and I'm not, I'm not sure why. Maybe it is for the reason you're saying that it's not subjective. I, I don't know. Well, that it needs, it may, I think the reason is you're right. It needs a an assessment of a bad tin, as opposed to the other ones. Damages doesn't need an assessment. Listen, I, I wrecked your car. Car is worth X. We know. You look it up on Kelly Blue Book. There's no, doesn't necessarily. There's no assessment that's necessary. A process. It has a clear value. Um, same thing. Loss of income has a clear value, as opposed to medical bills have a clear value. As opposed to pain and suffering, humiliation. There's no clear. And value. the bad tin would have no. Uh, they have no capacity. No, well, they do. They, they to There is a. The Talmud does give a way of assessing pain and suffering. And there is. It is discussed how much would someone pay to have that pain done to them. That's very often. A way of assessing. Yes. Pain, pain and, and suffering. suffering. The Talmud does discuss it. We discussed it here, in when we dealt with uh, abortion, pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. We did discuss that. So there is a. There is a, a formula for assessing pain and suffering. But what we're saying is the Betin today doesn't have a right to do that, for some reason. Okay, there is a formula. It discusses pain, for example, if I remember. Any says how much in? would someone Any pay to have that pain? Any in? In, in, no, it would have to be Sanhedrin. I don't, I don't know exactly how that works. Who, who can give penalties? But whatever it is, it's irrelevant today. The penalty okay. phase of, of uh, damages are irrelevant, is what we're saying. So therefore, so that's important to know. It is becoming secular, you know, downtown at the local at the courthouse. You never get paid for pain and suffering and humiliation. No. No, you get the lawyer, the plaintiff's lawyers ask for it, but in the juries, mm-hmm. basically award what they what 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 they can 
put it down on a piece of paper with a calculator. Mm -hmm. If it's not calcul, if it's as a practical truth, if it's not calculable, you can't write it down. It's not there. I mean, you can sue for it, but you're saying you can't. But in the end, you'll you'll mm -hmm. you you'll never be remunerated for pain and suffering. Okay. So, so that's really what the, the first paragraph. Having someone um, see your butt with, with you through your hospital gown, that is embarrassing. I was recently <laughs> at the doctor's office, walked around with my butt hanging out. Okay. That's why it's called ICU. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I never heard that, that's good. So he says like this, he says, Hine, so in the tshuva, we're in the tshuva phase here. Back to the Revival Yosef. So, so in the beginning part, he discusses this issue of um, what what type of penalties are allowed? So if you skip down to here, I'm gonna start from here just to, to save time. We come, come. Is an abbreviation? Last word on the line. Show me. How's your Hebrew? Um. Okay. Not very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's two little mems. Show. You yeah, know where I'm they are. Sorry. The end of the line. Where there's actually there's a. I have actually in the copy there's. A, a little pen mark yeah, there. Yeah, a little. There's bite. a little pen mark there. A little chip cheek. So it says, "Mikomakom, hover lanu." So it says at the end of the day, hover lanu. Um, it was exp it, it's explained to us. Sheruven anahag, lo yashon klal. Sorry, lo yashon kichalat zorech balayla shlofne hanasiya. At the end of the, at the end of this case, it was explained to us that Reuven admitted that he hadn't slept enough the night before. The driver, lechen near dam al haga. Therefore, he fell asleep at the wheel. The garam letunan, he caused the accident. Karamu b'yushalmi d'may, and the Yushalmi already says, she'asalim elamid lios arbalayla. He says, by the way, this is one of the reasons I'm doing this, is because this is a very big debate today, as I'm sure you've heard, with residency. Um, doctors who are on shifts mm -hmm. continuously, who supposedly they have studies that they're saying that prove after they're up for 48 hours, they're on a 48-hour shift, their competency is, comes into question as far as what they can do. At least with the new generation of younger, Confidence of course, the older generation. Before the, the, the older, the older generation, of course, the physicians were. Has, has, has any evidence been shown that this is true, or is not this that so I they know. want to change um, in medical school? They want to change the shift. You mean make that, shorter. That, you, that there's a question whether sleep deprivation affects cognitive functioning? It, are no. you serious? We're, we're, no. We're talking about whether or not medical errors have decreased increased. since the or increased since the time that right. they changed the whole system of medical education. I see. And they make less medical errors if they slept old, if they had an eight hour, if they didn't sleep or if they didn't make any difference. It makes know. no difference in practice. Yes, cognitive function, I understand where you're coming from. It doesn't bad. seem to make a difference in people's lives. How many people are dead from a medical error or injured from a medical error? I, I don't know. There may be. I just don't know if there's any. No, there are have there been studies. Is there I just there read, by the way, an article. Um, and I don't remember where there was in a medical journal. I saw. I didn't read the whole thing, but they're claiming that it's actually better. You know, if you have a choice of having a someone who a resident who or, or another deprived. shift who who's who is no sorry a fresh resident or someone who is sleep deprived, but is their doctor who knows the who knows the course knows of the, the right, course right, of treatment right, and everything right, right, that right. that is better. They just there was an article right. published. Like so few weeks content, ago on this. So continuity of care yeah. trumps right. cognitive yeah. function. Exactly. Yeah. In other words, in other words, we make decisions, uh, life and death decisions, probably not 
in the uh, frontal lobe of our cortex, but in our uh, kishkas. Yeah, in our kishkas. Exactly. <laughs> that's probably true. Which is quite good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and it's not making making medical decisions is not the same as. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I make pretty good. I think I make pretty good medical decisions. But if you give me some little thing with a Rubik's cube. Oh, and tell me how to be and, and how to change things around and measure how many exactly how many triangles are in this. Yeah. I mean, have, I'm right. I'm right two percent of the time, but I'm, I'm certainly right a lot more than two percent of the time when I make a decision what drug I'm going to use. Sure, I'm so and those if, are different. They're different skills. Yes. Yeah, so I guess I just want to get the, the, the issue on the table is is it negligence in the case, let's say, where a physician who hasn't slept makes. The, makes the wrong decision. Would that be considered <coughs> negligence? It's really the question. No, but I mean, this that's the question here. The I, I didn't doctors, sleep enough, and because of that, cause an the night before surgery, all the time. If I'm, I'm gonna call Wednesday nights tonight. If I get called at two or three o'clock in the morning and I'm up for an hour dealing with whatever, if I have surgery the next day, I don't know. I have not heard of any stories where the doctor comes to the patient the next morning and says, you know what, I know you took off the day today and the next week for your surgery, but I'm... I'm and you've prepped. But, and everyone's prepped, but, <laughs> but I want you to know I need to cancel the surgery because I was on call last night and I was up from 2 to 3 in the morning. I've never heard that. I've never heard it. I don't, and in my own personal life and my own experience as a surgeon, emotional, emotional upset is very deleterious to be my being able no, to but what, what happens but in the case of emotional that's different that you were up you were up last night because you got a call and somebody some, right. some idiot called you and you stayed at the ceiling for five hours <laughs> then you went to you got up in the morning and you felt like you got hit by a brick until you had a cup of coffee that doesn't cause me to deter my, my work to deteriorate but your kid is in a slow. car wreck and, uh, and, and you have a huge... And your wife just filed for divorce. And your wife filed right, for divorce. Right, right. That might affect That you. stuff really <laughs> hits you like a brick. You but might oops. cancel that surgery. Yeah, that hits you and like go out and bread. celebrate. You know, it's interesting because I have canceled my surgery. Uh, um, I, I was... As a patient. As a patient. As a patient. That's right. different. That's I mean, totally different. I, I yeah. was prepped, ready. We were going to do this. The, there, there were some... Actors don't like you. Uh, Back-to-back -back, uh, no, emergency surgeries. The doctor uh, was very late starting my case. And the nurses who were in uh, uh, pre-op told me what was going on. And I said... I'm canceling. And you know what? The doctor was probably thrilled. I yeah. cancel. I The doctor was like, shoo, I can't yeah. do that. I cancel I mean, surgeries like that every day. I, want I once put myself in his place. I, you know, it's, it's not once, life threatening. Once or twice a month, I cancel things because we're getting started late and some gynecologist had to do a hysterectomy and that, they know that he didn't expect to do when now we're starting something that should be started during the daytime at 10 o'clock at night. I won't do it. But that's that's a different matter because people... You, but you cancel because you feel that you could be more optimal. It's not no, just about usually you, it's the not doctor. about me. It's yeah. usually it's never, it's team. never about right. me. Right, so it's that's the question. So again, we're not answering, we're not even... nurses, the support staff. I mean, there's a witching hour. Once you get past 3 o'clock, like all of a sudden, like all your Everything. skilled people like yeah. disappear. They're all gone. So but the question is, again, we're not focusing on the question, which is if something did happen after the doctor hasn't slept 
is right. th would that be negligence on the part of the doctor? Well, apparently something did happen. Apparently that's the question. Not according to the doctors. Uh, right. right. No, apparently. So that's the question. Yeah, you, you, the you messed up. Right. God forbid but the doctor was. What happens now? Are they negligent? Well, according to what Could that be presented in a court of law? Right. We'll say, listen, the guy hasn't slept eight hours. Of course he was going to miss drawer, People in the drawing would probably say it is negligent. Speaking as a physician with 40 years experience, I would say no, it probably isn't. It probably isn't a serious matter. The physician is emotionally distraught because his wife filed for divorce and his kid was just something. All right. He probably should cancel what he's doing. Well, you agree? I agree. So, Ron, you agree that at the end of the day, the doctor messed up. Can present an appeal? Is he liable? Yes, and, and the guy hasn't going, slept eight, 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 gonna, eight yeah, hours the night before. No, the question is, he can claim. Listen, we were trained to, to do this, which this yeah, is our listen, If you stay if up eight you, hours, if you have a complication, doesn't you're liable no matter no. what? Anyway, uh, no, instead, but the question is, can it be attributed to his non-sleep? Let's say something that it, could happen. It will be. No, I'm saying, let's say it's something that be. could happen in three percent of cases, five percent of cases. The question I mean, is, can it be attributed to the non to lack of sleep? It will be. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know if I could say a hundred percent would be attributed to lack of sleep. But probably there's some percentage of it, five, ten, fifteen. Well, you know, when you finish with this legal system and 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 the, and the talking points on the part it. of the lawyers, it will be considered that this was the principal. Of issue. course, of but course. But it probably really is. That's, that's the question, really. I mean, halakhically, we don't have a jury system. So the question is, is it negligence or is it not negligence? So you're saying clearly it's not. Would not be considered negligence on the part of the physician. No, I say if, if you have a complication, you are liable. No, the question is, the guy knows he's going. You're saying you you don't mind going to surgery after not having slept. No, that doesn't affect your surgical abilities. Correct. So the fact that you had a complication really is not to do with that. Is what you said. No, no, you're you're assuming that you have a complication in that case. If you have a complication, I'm saying if you did. We're not talking about legally. Talking about what is can I connect. To, can I call it negligence when there's a complication? Can I can I assume the complication so came because knowing, of my lack of sleep? Just like knowing, I don't think you can assume. Knowing that you had not slept sufficiently. Right. I mean, not what's well, I don't sufficient. Think you can assume what's sufficient? Anything. What's sufficient? That's another. That's another good question. You know, I mean, in, in, I, I'm fortunate. I think still to be part of the older generation. My training that. <laughs> We, if you slept a couple hours, you were fine for the next day. You were totally fine. You would crash that later night. But right, like, so the question is, meaning it is a little, I mean, for a layperson like me to understand, meaning to, if the guy gets behind the wheel and he falls asleep, we'll say he's negligent, clearly. Totally. So, but the doctor to do uh, open heart surgery, <laughs> that's fine. Correct. Right. What's yeah. the problem? You're you okay with that? The thing is, decision. You're just moving. You know, if you move a little slower. You're saying it's harder to drive a car than to perform open heart surgery. Absolutely. I, you can fall asleep much easier. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you turn the music loud, or you get people excited in your operating room, so nobody's falling asleep, right. and you move. You get yeah. people going. Yeah, yeah. That's also the excitement of surgery. Yeah, that's the adrenaline. Circulating adrenaline. That's. The difference. Yeah. You go, you when go. you're when you when you you're have driving. not slept the night before and you, you get behind driving. the wheel, there's not a whole lot of adrenaline. <laughs> right. But I can guarantee you that when you're a surgeon and you're yeah. trained to be a surgeon and you like being a surgeon and you so want to do this case, yeah, you, you, you still walk have in adrenaline after forty years. After forty years, you still have adrenaline. Yeah. If you're in war. 
you know, you're in battle, and yep. you know, battles don't, uh -huh. the, the, right. they don't stop a right. battle. Right, I'm having a headache hours of sleep, so I can't <laughs> engage in this we, particular... We can't. No, but who's to know who has eight hours of sleep? I don't have never get eight hours of sleep. I was up from one from one o'clock until four o'clock until five o'clock this morning. I didn't get calls from the hospital. I was staring at the bed. I was staring at the That's ceiling. a separate issue. You have a you have a sleep need disorder. To see, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So does that mean I shouldn't go to work today? I wouldn't know. <laughs> Okay, so so he says, um, since this guy didn't sleep enough, so he goes through there's a concept in halacha. He talks about what's called tchilasal bepshia, esofa bonus. I don't remember the classical case, but it means something where you're negligent initially, and then at a later point an accident happened. But so there's no negligence. It was something beyond your control that happened at a later point. Once you were initially negligent, even it could have been two days ago, but that led up to this case. So it doesn't make a difference that the act that happened was beyond your control. Like Meaning, what, 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 so, what's the example? So an example would be he brings Arzu a classic case. Let's say you're a, you're um, trying to think. Let's say you fell asleep. You're a security guard and you fell asleep. Okay, that's negligence. Let's assume for this purpose. And they break into the building. Yes. No, but they right. But they broke him somewhere. You couldn't have caught him anyway. They broke him from the back. Okay, you wouldn't have, you know, it's a total, total something that was beyond your control. You wouldn't have found them anyway. But the fact that you were negligent, it's irrelevant that what it's happened irrelevant. was beyond you your asleep. control. Yeah. You fall asleep Okay, because you weren't doing your job. You're guilty <coughs> and you're even liable. If, right. Even if what even happened was... Even if you had been able to do your job optimally, you would not right, have exactly. succeeded in preventing so the loss. That's it. You're liable anyway. If, if you fall asleep and you drop, you're liable. If your driver's is driving a car, doing a appendectomy, or watching a building, right. if you fall asleep, you're liable. It's called and the opposite, of Shia, but the opposite is also true. Like this guy that drove the train in Philadelphia, and they killed all these people and drove off the track. They were sure that he was texting at the time, but they found that he was not texting, and now they have no explanation. Why he was speeding? We have no idea why he went from 50 to 100 miles I per hour. I said he's a very safe driver. Right, right. So we have zero, and so now it's like nothing. But had they found the texting, oh, yeah, they would no have been 100% guilty. Right. But right. you know, it's the That's culture just, there. Uh, the, cul right, 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 the, right. the culture of the metro line is that we got to get you there fast and, and compete with the airlines. That's the, cul the culture of, of that Washington, New York, Boston, New happened. York. Boston, New Haven, New York, uh, Washington, Washington, Washington yeah. Baltimore, Washington, is to go fast. That's the culture. Anyway, we're, we're out of time, so we're going to have to continue yes. this next Wednesday morning. Um, and I'll try to do the research on residents. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.